So welcome to the Health Analytic Insights Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I have the honor of interviewing my friend Yasmina Tsulu-Dosu, and she will be talking all about the field of biomedical engineering and her experience being a biomedical engineering graduate um, from her master's and then now a PhD biomedical engineering candidate. So thank you, Yasmina, so much for joining us today. And I just want to get started with how you got interested in the field of biomedical engineering and if you could introduce yourself and um, how you got interested in this field. Yeah, uh, well, thank you for having me. Basically, the way that I got really introduced to it is I did a lot of research after doing my uh, first uh, bachelor's degree. So um, I did a bachelor's degree in biology in uh, at Concordia University. And after doing this bachelor's, I was really thinking of multiple different degrees uh, for masters that I could uh, do that would have a connection to it. So I was looking in bio again, or exercise science, or biomedical engineering. I really wanted to do something that had um, a connection with people where I can actually work you know, with people, because one of the things that I didn't really like about uh, bio during my degree was, you know, the nitty gritty, like the microbiology and, um, you know, all the DNA stuff. It was not super interesting to me. I wanted to do something where I can relate to people on a more macro level, I can say. Also, after that, I actually continued and I did another degree in uh, mathematics at Carleton University. And I really wanted to do this degree because for one, I've always been very interested in mathematics to begin with. I've kind of pivoted a lot actually throughout my bachelor's degree, even before doing the bio degree, I was considering doing uh, something in actual sciences, but then it didn't really pan out. And, you know, after doing all of this pivoting, I decided that it would be good if I continued on and did that other degree in mathematics to also strengthen my GPA and have a more well-rounded background before doing um, a master's subsequently. Throughout that master's, uh, throughout that uh, bachelor's in mathematics, I basically fell in love with computing, like a programming. I was first introduced to it during that uh, degree. I'd never done anything like that before. So it was obviously very challenging at first, but the more I was uh, programming in like Python and Java, the more I was really, really interesting in um uh, in that topic. So I decided that I wanted to do something in biomedical engineering where I would continue to further my programming skills. And so that's why I wanted to do something that is more software based in biomedical engineering. And biomedical engineering is a very, very broad and multidisciplinary um, field. And so yeah. there were multiple different avenues that I can go to, but I talked to a few different professors uh, at Carleton within the systems and computer engineering department. I found that it was a good fit with, uh, 
you know, Dr. James Green uh, because of what he's doing with the medical informatics. So it's still, you know, working with people, with working with uh, neonates, really, and uh, getting um, all, you know, different information uh, from the camera. So it was just, you know, a good fit to, you know, starting from bio and then going into math and then um, finishing into biomedical engineering where I could have a good uh, balance or a good combination of both those degrees into uh, graduate studies. Yeah, I really like that um, journey. I think that um, a lot of people go through that. You don't really know right away, you know, what you're passionate about. But I think, as you're saying, you can take different aspects from each field that, you know, resonate with you. So like the bio biological aspect of it and then the programming mathematical aspect and then, you know, that people aspect of biomedical engineering. So, yeah, that's a really interesting journey that you've gone through. And what aspects of, you know, both biology, mathematics, um, biomedical engineering, what aspects of this um, really pushed your research project and and uh, really got you interested in your actual research um, thesis topic? I should actually say what, what my research topic is. So I am uh, working on uh, creating a um, non-contact monitoring uh, system for a neonate in the neonatal intensive care unit. So basically with a camera that's placed above the patient, um, recording um, a series of uh, uh, video recordings using a depth sensing camera. So it's a camera that can record in uh, color, depth, and near infrared streams. So I'm recording about six hours of data per patient. And then uh, after the fact, I uh, analyze those recordings by trying to get some more understanding as to what is going on in the scenes. So for instance, I have uh, multiple different avenues for region of interest detection, trying to detect the face of the patient, the body of the patient. Uh, from that point on, uh, trying to um, get motion detection, so detect when the, like where the face is moving, a face tracking or um, tracking uh, uh, limb motions. Uh, subsequently, I just want to have a better understanding of what's going on uh, in the scene. So uh, getting, like, let's say, for object detection, detecting it where if there's like a suitor, uh, if there's a bottle feeding uh, event going on or any kind of like intervention going on. And all of that is really to assist uh, the clinical staff in uh, patient care. So mm -hmm. the one good premise of that is that um, there's a lot of false alarms uh, going on in the uh, NICU currently, and a lot of those alarms could be detected in a way if we have more context as to why that alarm was triggered. So mm -hmm. that's where motion detection uh, paired with, you know, detecting the entire you know, body of the patient uh, comes into place because sometimes when the patient moves the a pulse oximeter, that's when an alarm is triggered. So if from the camera, you can say that, you know, the pulse oximeter is on the right arm and the uh, baby's right arm moved, then, you know, potentially a false alarm. All in all, with um, this degree, I think that um, there is actually a lot that I had to learn within the, the degree itself. 
mm -hmm. um, because this is a good um, combination of you know, machine learning, computer vision, and signal processing. Uh, signal processing specifically also because we are trying to also estimate the um, vital signs of the patient. So trying to estimate their heart rate from you know, a non-contact way. Mm -hmm. So all of those different um, fields or different disciplines, uh, I had to learn a lot of it directly within the thesis. What had prepared me in the past, I would say from maybe the bio and uh, the math degree would, is definitely the statistics background. So when working with the data, analyzing data and getting results, you know, you need to find a good way to interpret them and, you know, find, uh, get a good confidence metric. So especially in my fields where we're not really clinical. So it's not um, at the end, the product that I will be developing won't be uh, diagnostic. But it will still help uh, the clinical staff in the hospitals. So it's very important when you build a, like I can say, like an AI-based system that um, you tell also the, cl the clinicians, you know, this is what we've created, and we are confident about it with this certain, like, 95% confident or something like that. So. With uh, my statistics background, it has really helped me to, you know, further those uh, analyses so that it can uh, strengthen a little bit um, uh, the, the results really and strengthen the, the confidence in the quality of the data and the analysis of those data. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I really like your research because I think it's going to make such a huge impact. I can just imagine like all the alarm fatigue that nurses and other clinical staff go through if, you know, the baby has to be moved to surgery and you just have all these alarms going off and it's like a false positive event. It's not really necessary for all these alarms to be going off if the baby was just moved. So I can really see how like your research can have a huge impact on reducing alarm fatigue and um, things like that. So no, that's really, really cool. And I totally see how you're all the different degrees and the previous experience that you had in your biology and mathematics uh, degrees has now uh, cumulated and, and really had an effect on your current research. So that's really cool. Uh, the next question was, um, what has been an unexpected skill um, that you've gained from your PhD program? I know for myself going through my master's, the amount of organizational skills that I gained was just absolutely through the roof because I remember I had to balance, you know, being a research assistant and then TAing and also doing research and going through courses is just crazy. And then having a part-time job. So one of the unexpected skills that I gained was, you know, learning how to wear several hats and have a, a properly organized planner. So I'm just wondering what are some unexpected skills that you've gained going through your PhD program? Yeah, absolutely. On that note of uh, organization skills, it's definitely also something that I've picked up a lot. I think I've always been very organized, but um, I had to now multitask a lot. As you mentioned, you know, you, you're doing TA and you're working and you're doing research and sometimes side projects and it can become a lot. Mm -hmm. So I did have to uh, amp up also my time management skills because I tend to be very, very, very last minute. Um, 
but it's uh, I, I can't be last minute when I have multiple deadlines coming up and there's you know those external deadlines that there's nothing I can do about it so I have been uh, trying to organize myself as much as possible you know creating calendars creating checklists but also not only just that for uh, research and work and everything but also for my personal life so having a good work-life balance because very often I can find that you know if I have a deadline due in a month I'm going to continue working you know non-stop 24-7 for the next month but then I'll burn myself out so I now dedicate some uh, downtime uh, specifically just for me so that I can uh, just regroup and then uh, start fresh but one very unexpected skill <laughs> um, that I also gained during my graduate skill, uh, studies is uh, my writing skills. Mm. Um, not only that, but uh, the fact that I actually enjoy writing now. Um, I think in my, in my math degree, I barely wrote anything. <laughs> uh, in my bio degree, I did, but not not really that much and it was also a long time ago so I wasn't really that sharp about it but yeah I think in my first year master's compared to right now where I am I've uh, gained an, a significant increase in my writing skills not only to write good papers but also to know what a good paper should be uh, like and I've had the opportunity to review papers as well for uh, multiple conferences. Uh, there was one conference also that was actually a part of uh, what I, I uh, created a symposium with uh, uh, some other of my lab mates for a conference. And we were, we were part of the, um, the, I guess the, the committee to review all those papers and solicit uh, authors. So it, it, it's definitely been a, a good experience for me to write good uh, publications, but also to see what other publications are uh, about so that I can strengthen mine. Yeah. And I also liked what you said about um, making sure to schedule some downtime. Um, I really resonate with that. I think that that was one of the biggest mistakes um, during my master's is I really burnt out um, towards the end when I was writing my thesis because I was just 24 seven writing this thesis. I never even took any time to schedule any downtime. Um, so I think that that's really important no matter what you're doing throughout your master's or your PhD, make sure you're scheduling that downtime. And I think it's really great that you're able to advance your writing skills um, just through continued practice and having those um, opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to move a bit from academia and move more to industry and some general career advice. I was wondering if you are comfortable if you could talk a bit of you, about your um, internship experience and how that kind of that internship experience kind of um, differed from regular academia life and uh, what are some pros and cons of being in academia versus uh, being in industry in your opinion? I think I was fortunate enough that I was able to you know take some time off throughout my graduate studies and do an internship. One of the reasons why I really wanted to take that internship is because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do later in the future, and I've never had industry experience before. So I decided to take an internship into something that is a little bit outside of my comfort zone or outside of my own field. 
So it was with a uh, software company, uh, Rebel. It's a domain uh, registration company. And I guess initially, you know, if you look at the uh, the job uh, description, I would have never apply for the job <laughs> um, because it's a software developer job where I have absolutely no, or I guess not that many requirements that I would fulfill within that job description. But I was fortunate enough that it was from a networking event or through another connection that I was able to get in con in contact with the uh, CTO of that company, and uh, you know we had a chat, and I think he was very interested in you know what I'm doing currently in my PhD, and there was a possibility or here an opening of doing something that is a bit more data scientist focused, mm -hmm. and so we kind of created that position here for me where I was able to analyze streams of data for the company to uh, detect uh, anomalies, detect uh, attacks, um, identify uh, new customers, uh, or uh, help current customers with uh, their service uh, that uh, they're providing, that the company is providing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was very interesting uh, for me because it was a bit very much in my alley because uh, I constantly in my PhD work with lots of streams of data and just uh, uh, trying to analyze uh, from um, multiple different like venues. Uh, and in with this industry experience, it was good because I got to shadow different people as well in a more, you know, software development duties, like those positions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I got to learn a lot from uh, different aspects of uh, the company. And I guess one good pro about it is that, you know, at the end of the day, when I finish my work, I can just clock out and I'm done. Right. Um, I don't have to worry about it. I have to think about it. And we just, you know, the, we just move on and then uh, I leave the remaining work for the next day or I'll see whatever the next day will be. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in research, it's something that is, you know, 24-7, always on my mind. So for research, I have to be very deliberate about okay these are my work hours and these are my off hours otherwise they can as i said you know you can work 24 7 and uh, burn yourself out so that's i guess one bad thing about academia like those long working hours but one good thing about academia is that within my phd uh, as i said i'm working with um, uh, you know, in computer vision, in deep learning, in signal processing, and I've been able to do that because I kind of am the boss of my own research. Mm -hmm. I uh, I do have a supervisor that I report to for sure, but I uh, direct how my research uh, will be, and I direct how uh, what I want to explore within the research. Whereas in industry, you don't really get the same luxury. It's mostly based on 
what the company wants or what the company, if there's a problem currently, they assign you to that project and you have to go along with it. You, yeah, you rarely have the luxury of defining what your own topic or research will be about. So I guess that's um, one major con, I would say, uh, from industry. But uh, if you know what if you know what job you want to do, uh, where you want to work, and you end up going into a good project, then so be it. Like you have the jackpot, and you don't even have to worry about anything else. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about the whole self-directed aspect of being in academia. Like you have the control of being able to decide what projects. Obviously, there is, as you said, like you have to do some direction within your supervisor, but you have the control of what you want to measure, what you want to survey. So yeah, yeah. versus um, industry, it's more projects are given to you and you and you kind of have to focus on that. But yeah, there's definitely um, pros and cons to both. And I'm just wondering, from the internship experience, did you get a sense of kind of what your dream career could be? Um, or are you still um, searching in that aspect? I think I'm always going to be searching, <laughs> but no, I, I do have a better idea in a sense that um, um, I think what my ideal career would be, maybe not in the sh short term, but uh, in the next, you know, five to 10 years, it would be a good intersection of, you know, I guess, like machine learning slash data scientists mm -hmm. and maybe contract instructor oh, so um, I, I I'm not really you know full-on into academia or full-on into industry I still enjoy kind of a bit of both but mm -hmm. I don't think that in my near future I would want to continue into academia you know become a full-time prof and have a faculty position in something like that I again I, we don't really know what the future has in store for me but as of right now, uh, I think I would want to give it a pause uh, into academia, but mm -hmm. I would be very interested in uh, doing a contract instructor because I really love to teach. But that being said, I would love to teach on um, a bit less regular basis. Yeah, doing a little bit of both would be, I guess, an ideal future career and as I said in the next maybe five to ten years that would be uh, something that I would want to do but in the near nearest future I think I would want to focus into industry and yeah just try and get um, you know to do as much as possible to use my uh, all of those skill sets that I've acquired to apply them them into a real world problem or other problems and doesn't necessarily have to be again within a, a medical uh, field or uh, within yeah medical fields it, it it can really branch out to uh, other ones but uh, yeah I think I would definitely want to continue a bit more in industry in the nearest future. Yeah it's really great and I think that there's this kind of misconception that when you're 17 you have to know exactly what you want to do you have to know exactly what you want to go to school for and then immediately get this career that's supposed to be focused on your degree. And I think that from my own experience, um, my master's was really helpful for me because it got me interested in the clinical field. And then my first job, it really got me interested in the data analytics field. 
I know eventually that I want to end up in a career where, you know, I'm marrying both of those, the clinical and then um, using data to drive decisions, clinical decisions. But I think that a lot of people who I've talked to, each experience has, has kind of shaped what they eventually want their career to, their long-term career goals to pan out. You know, if you want to be a doctor or, you know, a teacher, those specific careers, like obviously you have a, a, a straight path, but most people I've talked to, they've experienced things, done an internship, done co-ops, done jobs in different industries. And then eventually they found, you know, 20, uh, yeah. 30 years later, their, their dream career. But I don't think it's as straight line as most people kind of um, expect it to be. And I don't think that people should be too reserved as to having, you know, that straight line because the world is always evolving and you don't even know, you know, by the time that you're done, you know, after doing, you know, bachelor's, master's, PhD, or, you know, anything in between, what kind of jobs will be out there. It's possible that there will actually be a new job that is actually more suitable for you uh, when you get out. So uh, it's pretty good to be very, you know, open-minded as to what the dream job or what kind of careers you want to go into. And not too uh, anxious about, you know, one specific niche career uh, throughout your studies. Exactly. Every day my nephew tells me he wants to be a YouTuber and that did not exist <laughs> 10 years ago. So we have no idea, you know, what are the jobs that exist. Um, and that kind of really segues nicely into my next question was, um, we see now with the pandemic, there's been a widespread adoption of telemedicine and, you know, this health tech has just exploded. Um, where do you kind of see the future of biomedical engineering and are there any like technologies you really like to see it be adopted um, kind of in the field of biomedical engineering or in the field of healthcare? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, as you mentioned with the telemedicine, it has definitely uh, been more prominent uh, in those uh, current days. And I think it's, I guess, in a, a good, it's an advantage for us, this, this definitely uh, for, you know, the biomedical field, because there are a lot of, you know, third world countries where it's, they rely solely or mostly on telemedicine. And now that the, um, we are uh, evolving a little bit more uh, with those uh, technologies, uh, it can, it is very more beneficial for uh, for those technologies to, you know, further along. I would definitely see the future of biomedical engineering to be a bit more collaborative. Mm -hmm. um, because as I mentioned as well, biomed is such a broad field that there, you, you can't really be niche into one specific aspect. There's bound to be some collaborations with uh, other uh, with other fields mm -hmm. and so um, it's kind of hard to talk about you know all of what biomed is because mm -hmm. right now I'm working more on I guess uh, software based you know uh, deep learning based and computer vision based aspects of biomedical engineering and that being said um, we do collaborate a lot or we try you know to collaborate a lot with uh, like a um, more AI uh, researches to um, get, I guess, those models 
to expand those models as much as we can and then apply it into the medical field because once you have a i guess an ai model it can be used in multiple different fields it doesn't have to be with just you know um automated uh, vehicles or with uh, camera surveillance uh, at, a her- at airports all of those technologies that are being done right now or that are being developed can be used in a medical field as well and that's one important thing is that sometimes uh, those technologies we, we don't really have uh, the ground truth data uh, to uh, work with it because in medical fields we do have a a big stream of data, but it does take time to, you know, annotate. Uh, we do need to have specialists in the field to annotate those data. We do need uh, help with, um, you know, doctors and um, the clinical staff to uh, give us a ground truth so that we can build uh, all those models. So that being said, we do need to have more and more collaborations with clinical staff uh, and specialists in uh, medical fields to mm-hmm. help with those models. Hope yeah, that answers the question. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I think um, that can be, I think, one of the issues with some of these AI models that are used in healthcare, like the lack of explainability. And I think that um, we definitely need to always be incorporating the feedback of clinicians, having that collaborative aspect if we want to kind of have these um, machine learning algorithms in uh, diagnostic tools. So I think that we can't really exist in silos. I don't think we can just have Google or Amazon just building all these healthcare algorithms without, you know, collaboration and feedback from clinical staff and people who are on the ground actually using these tools. Yeah. And so um, this has been such a great discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And my last question was, what advice would you give to biomedical engineering students just starting out or thinking about doing a a degree or their master's or PhD in biomedical engineering? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. I think for anyone who's interested, I would say definitely, you know, look up all of those different topics or different subfields within biomedical engineering so that you will know, you know, what interests you the most. And then uh, from that point on, uh, just try and uh, see, you know, in uh, talk to professors, talk with them to see, you know, what current research they're doing, what potential research you will be working in uh, as your thesis as well, but also to talk to them about their own experience because uh, a lot of them, you know, they've, you know, stepped stepped out of academia, went into industry and then came back. And um, for a lot of them, it was, I guess, a shaping way of coming back into their uh, current faculty position. And it can give you an idea of, for one, what you could potentially do in the future in terms of, you know, that uh, industry aspect. But um, uh, it also helps 
for you to to know uh, I guess a, a little bit more about the field and what the field has to offer mm -hmm. so yeah I think I would definitely say uh, mostly that you know uh, try and do your research uh, on all of those topics as much as possible but also be very uh, open-minded like I said before this field is constantly evolving and so there's multiple different jobs that can come out of it uh, after and don't restrict yourself too much based on your background because there's a lot of people even in my lab currently that they do not come from a you know biomedical engineering field a lot of them come from you know bio like me or mathematics or nanotech and you know very very multidisciplinary so don't discourage yourself if you're not exactly you know from um, biomed specific background um, you are still an asset uh, coming actually from a different background so you can bring another uh, outlook you know on uh, things and yeah don't be discouraged because it will be hard but it will be worth it in the end <laughs> yeah i can definitely attest to that it's not easy but um it's worth it in the end and you get to meet people from different backgrounds i think um i met so many people from different backgrounds not just pure biomedical engineering did my masters and yeah they gave you such a you got such a different perspective and a collaborative um outlook on the field so yeah, I definitely say um, don't let imposter syndrome stop you from starting in this field if you're really passionate about it. Yeah, the imposter syndrome actually will always, I think I can say that uh, openly, that it, it will always hit you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it has hit everyone at some point in their graduate studies. Mm -hmm. um, and you should not feel discouraged when you do feel that imposter syndrome because if anything it's it it tells you that you know you care and mm -hmm. that's why you feel like you are not performing as well or anything uh but you know continue on talk to your supervisor uh talk to your peers uh your peers are sometimes one of the, your stronger uh support system because you all go through you know the same um process and so you can very much rely on one another and help each other. So yeah, don't be discouraged. So you'll be fine. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much, Yasmina. And uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me.